Will you pray with me? O Lord, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Give us the grace to receive your truth in faith and love and the strength to follow on the path that you have set before us through Jesus Christ. Amen. Today is the last day of our eight-week series, Family Ties. We have taken a deep dive into the families of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We have paid attention to characters who are often overlooked, the wives and the children and the servants of these families. And over the last three weeks, we have paid special attention to Jacob, who is a remarkable figure. We have watched him across the arc of his life, and today we reach the culmination of his story. The scene that we're going to explore today is nothing short of extraordinary. There are few scenes in the Bible that can rival this scene in terms of its power and its drama. To prepare ourselves for it, I want to briefly sketch how Jacob got to this place. As we have seen over the past few weeks, Jacob was born into a dysfunctional family in which people lied as a way to find love. The relationships in this family were transactional. The love in this family was conditional, which made it hard for them to understand God's unconditional love, which is the deepest meaning of the covenant that God made with Abraham. So Jacob, for example, believes that in order for him to be loved, he has to trick people. He tricks his brother repeatedly. He fools his father, wearing a disguise and pretending to be someone he wasn't. All because he believed that if he were simply himself, there's no way that he could be blessed. And so at the core of Jacob's story is this painful idea that he will never be loved as he is. He has to fight for love. He has to wrestle to get his needs met. We see over and over again that Jacob is a wrestler. He has a chip on his shoulder. He doesn't trust anyone. He's always fighting. But this begins to change when Jacob gets a taste of his own medicine. And this is the story we looked at last week. Jacob falls in love, becoming quite vulnerable. His uncle, Laban, takes advantage of that vulnerability by tricking Jacob. He makes him work seven years for one daughter, gives him a different daughter, then manipulates him further by making him work another seven years to get the daughter he was initially promised. And so Jacob, for the first time, is on the receiving end of the trick. And in the pain of that betrayal, Jacob finally starts to see his own sin. He finally understands what it feels like to be on the receiving end of betrayal and manipulation. And this humbles Jacob. It prepares him for the scene that we're going to be looking at today. Because in today's story, Jacob finally begins to face his oldest demons. You may remember that Jacob ran away from home to get away from his brother Esau. He had stolen the blessing from his brother, and Esau was enraged. He was so angry that he literally vowed to kill Jacob. And that threat, even though many years have passed, that threat is very much alive. I mean, as far as Jacob knows, Esau still wants to kill him. 
And now we know that Jacob has begun to change because at this point in the story, Jacob decides that it's time to find his brother again. It's time to seek out this brother who has vowed to murder him and to try to make peace. Of course, Jacob has no idea what Esau's frame of mind is. Is he still angry? Does he still intend to kill Jacob? So Jacob sends some messengers to find out what's going on with Esau. They go and they visit Esau, and when they return to Jacob, they have this message. Your brother is coming to meet you, and he is bringing 400 soldiers. 400 soldiers, which can only mean that indeed Esau is intent on revenge. Jacob, of course, is terrified. He quickly goes into strategy mode. How am I going to survive this? He decides to send groups of people ahead of him with gifts. He's trying to appease Esau, but he is terrified. He turns to prayer, and it's noteworthy that this prayer, really for the first time, is not transactional. You remember that all of Jacob's previous prayers were always quid pro quo. God, I'll do this for you if you did this for me, which was evidence that Jacob didn't understand that the covenant was based in grace, not in transactions. Jacob seems to be starting to understand this because in this prayer, he simply begs God for help. He says to God, I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown me. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid that he will come and attack me and the mothers with their children. You see, he's not only afraid for himself, he thinks Esau's rage is so intense that he's going to massacre Jacob's entire family, the women and the children included. So, so what does Jacob do? Well, as I said, he, he starts to give Esau all these gifts. He sends these groups in waves. One group brings uh, one flock of cattle. Then a little while later, another group brings another flock of cattle, wave after wave of gifts meant to pacify his angry brother. At the end of the day, his entourage comes to a river. Jacob sends everyone else across, his two wives, his children, his servants, everybody else goes across the river, leaving Jacob alone. Now, part of this is strategy. Jacob wants to be the last one to meet his brother. Maybe, just maybe, if Esau first receives all of these many gifts, then when he finally lays eyes on Jacob, he won't be so angry. And that brings us to our reading. This is from Genesis 32, verses 22 to 32. The same night, he got up and took his two wives, his two maids, and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and likewise everything that he had. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, 
Jacob. Then the man said, You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore to this day the Israelites do not eat the thigh muscle that is on the hip socket, because he struck Jacob on the hip socket at the thigh muscle. This story is so rich that I'd like to go through it with you line by line. We start here. The same night Jacob got up and took his wives, his two maids, and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and likewise everything that he had, Jacob was left alone. And so as we begin this story, we see that Jacob is about to meet God, and he is quite alone and quite exposed. Having sent all of his family across the river, Jacob has now no company and no protection, which is unusual for Jacob. He has spent his life manipulating people in order to get what he wants. Now there is no one around him to do his bidding. The suggestion is that this is how we finally meet God in vulnerability with no defenses. Jacob is in a strange land. It is the dark of night. And that means that he is finally in a vulnerable place where he might be receptive to the real presence of God. Next line. A man wrestled with him until daybreak. So many questions come to mind. Who is this man? Where did he come from? Why are they suddenly wrestling? The story doesn't say. But one thing we know is that Jacob is a wrestler. Jacob started wrestling literally inside his mother's womb, and he has never stopped wrestling all of his life. Jacob has been fighting people. Now, in a sense, this is not an uncommon personality type. There are many people who grow up in situations that are difficult, and their response to it is that they become scrappers. They don't trust anyone. They, they try to take what they want from life, and that can take people far in some circumstances, being competitive, being aggressive, fighting all the time. But there comes a moment in which people realize that the deepest needs in life cannot be won on the battlefield. Jacob, for example, his deepest need is forgiveness. Jacob needs to make amends with Esau. That is not something that he can win in a wrestling match. And yet Jacob is so stubborn. He and this mysterious figure wrestle all night long. Imagine the, the scene, hours of wrestling in the dark. Think of the stubbornness and the grit that Jacob shows by refusing to stop fighting. In fact, what finally brings this fight to a close is that this mysterious man realizes Jacob is not going to stop. He's not going to stop fighting. Here's the next line. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, 
he touched him on the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint. By this point, we may as well state the obvious. The man with whom Jacob is wrestling is God. When we read that God saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, this is not a sign that Jacob is an equal foe, that Jacob is as powerful as God is. It simply means that God's aim in this wrestling match was never to physically defeat Jacob. He could have done that instantly if he had wanted to. I mean, we see God's power in the fact that he merely touches Jacob's side and it ruins his hip. God's aim in this scene is to get Jacob to stop fighting, to do the one thing that he's never done in his life. There's a wonderful painting on the bulletin by Rembrandt of this scene, and I would ask you to take a moment, look at this painting, look at Jacob's face. It's full of pain. It is full of a lifetime of fighting to try to get what he needs. And now look at the angel's face, how peaceful it is. Jacob is wrestling with all of his strength, On the other hand, the angel seems to be holding him tenderly. That's what it's like to wrestle with God. We are trying to overtake him. Meanwhile, he is trying to love us. You see, God knows that for Jacob to heal, he has to finally understand that fighting is not going to get him what he most needs. Jacob has to surrender He has to wave the white flag. God tells Jacob, you have to let me go. Stop fighting with me. Jacob's response here is so moving that it often moves me to tears. Jacob says to God, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And this one comment suddenly reveals what Jacob's entire life has been about. His entire life has been a struggle to be blessed by God. Everything that came before this, all the deception, all the lying, all the betrayal, it was all a misguided attempt to get what he really needed, which was to be blessed by this person. Now what happens next is that God does bless Jacob, And to signify the monumental importance of what has happened, God gives Jacob a new name. You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with humans and have prevailed. Now, whenever someone's name is changed in the Bible, it means that there has been a fundamental change in their identity. We've seen this twice already in just this sermon series. Abram becomes Abraham. Sarai becomes Sarah. Now, Jacob becomes Israel, which means to wrestle with God. It is the most profound name because what it implies is that this is the one fight that really matters. All the other fighting that we do in life, and I mean all of it, from nuclear war to road rage to class warfare to sibling rivalry, it's all a distraction from the deepest human struggle, which is our struggle to surrender to God. Isn't it interesting that God can't bless Jacob until Jacob stops fighting? 
Do you see what that means? If you don't feel blessed by God, the question has to be asked, are your arms open to being held by God or are they curled up in fists because you're trying to box him? What this story shows is that although we can wrestle with God, we can never physically defeat him. We can never make him obey our will. We can never even make him love us, but we don't have to because he already does. There comes a time when we have to understand that God's love comes not from anything we do, but from what we stop doing. We have to surrender. We have to give up. Only then can you receive the relationship that he's trying to give you. Now, I, I do warn you, this fight will leave you wounded. There's, there's such an interesting little detail here that in the midst of their struggle, God dislocates Jacob's hip. What in the world was God up to? Well, what I think is happening is that God understands what a short memory we have. That even if we are lucky enough to have an experience like Jacob's in which we surrender and we are transformed by God's love, chances are, in a matter of weeks or months, we'll forget it. And then we'll start fighting again. We'll start lying and deceiving again. Unless we have a wound that keeps us humble. In our first reading from 2 Corinthians, which Molly read, the Apostle Paul talks about having a thorn in his side. Now, we don't know exactly what Paul was referring to, but it seems to be just like Jacob's dislocated hip. It is some painful issue that is keeping Paul humble. Paul says that he prayed to God to remove this thorn from him, and in response, God told Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My power is shown to be what it is in your weakness. Translation, my power, not your power, is the source of life. So stop fighting me. Stop fighting everybody else. Let go. Learn to be humble. And you will have more power than you could dare imagine because it will be my power that is flowing through you. And so Jacob's wound is a reminder to him that God is the one with power, and that keeps him in this place of humility. This wound, believe it or not, is a gift. Now, it might not look like a gift from the outside, because at the end of this wrestling match, Jacob is, is in a pretty messed up condition. He is utterly exhausted. He is walking with a limp, and yet he is limping into the rising Son, which is an extraordinary and incredibly important image. In Westerns, the hero always goes into the sunset, right? That's because it's the end of his story. But you see, Jacob's life is just beginning. The sun is rising on him. Better times are ahead because he has learned how to surrender to God's power. He has learned that at the heart of the gospel is, the par is a paradox, that the weaker he gets, the more power he has, the more he surrenders, the more blessed he is. And we need look no further than what happens next. Jacob limps across the river, <clears throat> and he finally meets his brother Esau. 
Of course, he is expecting to get exactly what he deserves, which is death. Let's read what happens instead. Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. Jacob has found forgiveness. Is this his doing? No, it's grace. This is what surrender looks like. That in surrendering to God's grace, you don't get what you deserve. Jacob deserved to die. Instead, he got love. When we started this series, we looked at how God's covenant with Abraham was this totally new idea because it was this reality of unconditional love. God said, I will bless you even if you reject me. Well, we can see how this works with Jacob. I will bless you even when you fight with me, even when you, with all your might, try to overpower me. I will still hold you in my arms until you finally relax so that you can receive my love. And I would just say that wherever you are in your questioning, you can trust that God is waiting for you at the riverside. The river is a threshold. You cross the river and you will be changed. On the other side of the river, there is forgiveness and there is new life, but you can't cross the river until you learn how to surrender. Let's end in prayer. God, we come with so many questions and so much pain in our struggles with you. Give us the serenity to let go and to allow your love into our hearts. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.